Hi everybody, it's Michelle Jackson here. I am the founder of the Black Writers Workspace and a self-published author. And I'm always excited to greet and meet some of the writers from the page. But today is so special because not only do we have um, people who are active on our page, but we also have two people who I will be interviewing tonight who won the top prize for the chapter one writing competition. This was the BWW's first competition that we hosted that was for writers of African descent, published and unpublished or self-published writers. And the goal was to showcase some of the fantastic work that is coming from the people who are actively out there writing, publishing, editing, and doing a number of things. They are motivators to so many of us who are um, still trying to turn out work. I'm working on my third book and I, I go to the page because I'm often looking for inspiration. And it's people like this, like the young lady who I'm going to bring on the screen, that is a great deal, brings a great deal of inspiration to all of us. She is our top prize winner for the chapter one writing competition in the nonfiction and fiction category. Um, she had to beat out over 50 other writers, writers that came from different skill sets and different genres. And she was able to take that top prize. And what was the top prize? She won $500 cash. She won a trophy as well as a certificate, as well as a BWW ad package. And this is part of that, which is giving her an opportunity to meet with many of you to talk about her work. You're going to hear her read her work and you will also have an opportunity to ask questions. So if you are on the Black Writers Workspace page, great. Drop something in the comment area for us. If you're on the author Michelle D. Jackson page, which is another way, this is on Facebook, of course, another way to see this interview. You can always drop your questions there for me or for our guest. Or if you're on YouTube, you can also see and drop questions um, for us on YouTube. So let's now bring on our special guest. And this is Jamie. Jamie, uh, wow, I've interviewed you a couple of times and um, pronounce your last name for me. I want to make sure I get it correct. Benet. Benet. Jamie Benet is here with us to talk about her award winning submission to the chapter one writing competition. And just to give a little context around this, we hosted the competition several months ago we asked for submissions from all of our writers not only on facebook where we have almost ten thousand followers on our private group but we also asked for submissions on instagram and twitter and we did a lot of press press releases behind it this is our first one and um, i have a history of putting on competitions this is kind of something that i do normally it's around entrepreneurship because I have a youth entrepreneurship program. And so I run a virtual um, competition for youth every year. It's 100% virtual. And this is the fifth year and it has been extremely successful. And I'm so grateful for that. However, I've never, ever, ever done a writing competition. And so this was one of those things where we were learning as we go. But what was so amazing about it was not only did we get great submissions, but we had 15 judges who all volunteered their time to read those applications, to go through them, to provide feedback and numerical scores. Um, and that's what made it so dynamic. And so I wasn't a judge, so I, but I did get a chance to read the submissions. And Jamie, you participated in our writer symposium. 
I met you there. You participated in our last virtual um, book fair. I've interviewed you because of both of those things. I had no idea that you were participating in the writing competition. And when I saw the winner, I was like, wow, this is amazing. So <laughs> for everyone out there, this is Jamie. She is dynamic. She's already published a book, um, self-published book. She's going to talk to us about that. Please don't hesitate. It's a Friday night, but don't hesitate to give us your questions because we want to we want to talk to you. But for now, Jamie, tell me about yourself and tell me about your work. So, um, gosh, tell me about yourself is always the question I struggle with. I can never pitch myself. Um, I'm an educator. I'm an athlete. Obviously, I'm a self-published author. I'm also a wellness coach. My whole just life these days, the last couple of years, it's just grounded in trying to help people heal from, you know, anxiety, depression, things of that nature, specifically um, minorities. You know, I grew up in a household, as a lot of us did, where, you know, what happens in the house stays in the house, don't cry, mm -hmm. things of that nature. And um, I had a hard time dealing with a lot of my trauma and a lot of my turmoil. And so once I figured out how to sort of like, help myself and heal myself or even seek help, then I wanted to reflect that back to the people that were around me. Mm -hmm. um, and that's reflected Excellent. in my work. So I know you're right. I know, I mean, you, you talked to me before and let's talk a little bit about the fact that you are an athlete. Tell us about mm -hmm. your, your past work. Um, and it is work as an athlete, but tell us about your accomplishments on the basketball court. Um, so I've been playing basketball since I was six. I uh, played in the Youth Olympics when I was 16 in Vienna, Austria. I uh, got a scholarship, a four-year scholarship to St. Francis College of Brooklyn. Some of you may have seen me play UConn. It was not pretty. Um, <laughs> after college, I went on to have a couple sponsorships. Sponsorship. Sorry, guys, I have retainers and sponsorships <laughs> um, with Nike. I played in some pro tournaments, things of that nature. Um, it's been a long journey. Basketball was something that I was kind of forced into. It was never something that I wanted to willingly play. But then when I got really good at it, it was like my source of like love and validation and like appreciation from, you know, I, my parents and other people and things of that nature. So I kind of just kept playing and now it's a lifestyle. It's a bad, it's a habit I don't know how to break. So I just keep doing it. <laughs> but I found more joy in it in my adult years. So that's good. That is excellent. And so your submission for us was something that is very personal to you. Um, it's uh, It was a book called Coming of Age, Whatever That Means. And now that you have this, this older woman on the screen who's kind of came of age and then went back and decided to be 18 and then came back up to 47, which is me. Um, what is it? Tell me and tell us. What did that title mean when you wrote it? Why did you come up with that particular title for it, for your book? So originally the piece was going to be all the titles were going to be, or all the chapter titles were going to be um, ages of things mm -hmm. that happened to me that sort of forced me to grow up before my time. And then I was like, this is really traumatic, but you always hear uh, coming of age in like Disney movies or Lifetime movies or whatever, like, you know, the girl who had sex for the first time or or mm -hmm. or the guy who gets his first kiss at prom or, you know, the birds and the bees or the person who gets caught smoking weed. And there's all these coming of age stories that are so like, oh, kids are just being kids. 
And then my coming of age story, whatever that means, is really traumatic. There are instances where I was forced to grow up and instances where I was harmed when I should have been protected um, or where I was harmed and told someone who was supposed to protect me and didn't protect me. So mm-hmm. coming of age, whatever that means, is literally just like I came of age. You know, I'm, I'm a grown woman now. I hit puberty. I came of age. But my story, whatever that means, is very different than what the mainstream coming of age story is. So this book is a memoir in a, in, in a way. Is that what I'm yes. to understand? Yeah. To so write a memoir at this age. Yes. I'm sorry. Yes. Mm-hmm. Everything is about me. Each chapter is of course about me. The climax is about something that actually happened to me. But I wrote all the chapters in third person using various J names as a way to really just get it out without having a mental breakdown while I'm writing this book about all my trauma in every chapter. <laughs> so Yes. And you're going to read a little bit of that book to us. Um, and just to let everyone know, uh, this is what I'm hearing consistently with our writers. And that is our writers are using writing therapeutically and talking about issues that are important to them. And it's it doesn't matter the genre. OK, it doesn't matter if it's a children's book, if it's fiction, nonfiction, memoir, fantasy. A lot of this is so infused with our own personal experiences because that's what writers do we use writing as a way to exercise in 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 many ways the demons that are either in us or on us and we're trying to figure out how to get to a clear place and writing becomes that 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 source i believe everyone who's creative uses their creativity to deal with something within themselves that's what's so beautiful about it And so what we do on the page of Black Writers Workspace is to try to give everyone that space to write, to listen and hear and support each other. Because like any craft, I don't and I mean any, whether you're a cook, a dancer, a singer, an artist, I don't care what that craft is. It can sometimes be it can be tough because you're dealing with you in order to get to that authentic ability to be creative. And it can be lonely because you don't always have a group of people around you who understand what you're feeling. And writers feel deeply. We feel deeply. So to go from basketball to writing, what was that pivotal moment where you knew that writing was the next stage for your life? To be honest, if I could go back and choose, I would have chose writing over basketball. Um, I've always liked to write. I like to journal. I've always liked to read. Um, I loved my ELA classes, my my literature literature classes in high school. Just always loved it. Um, and like I said, that um, writing was therapeutic. So even while I was playing basketball, I had a blog and I would write my feelings, my emotions, my this, my that. I would journal things of that nature. And um, I guess the pivotal moment to become an author over trying to pursue like a professional or continue a professional basketball career just really came my purpose. I don't feel fulfilled when I play basketball. I'm good at it and I get external validation, but I don't feel like I've done anything to change the world or to help anybody. Mm. I've just played a sport that I'm good at and got some claps and made a couple baskets. Um, my writing though, I see impact and I hear people say, I'm so happy you wrote that book or I'm, I can resonate with that. And I thought I was alone. Um, there are people that have told me that my first book potentially saved their life. You know, they were going through it for a certain amount of time. They, they wanted to 
risk it all, I guess as they would say, and they read the book and they connected with, with my content and decided to stay here. Um, mm. My writing is, I think my purpose, I think it's my contribution to the world. And so that's kind of what makes it more important to me than basketball. Basketball, I thought I had to do to be loved. Writing, I do because I love it. Mm. That's beautiful. I love that. So anybody, if you got any questions for me or for Jamie, please don't hesitate to drop them in our comment box. Uh, this is such a great conversation because I look at you and I see so much of myself. It's kind of odd. It's like, you know, I don't know you know you, but just the conversations we've had have always made me feel connected to you. Um, mm -hmm. I played volleyball. Nobody ever paid me any sponsorship to do it. I just did it because <laughs> I still think it is the best sport out there. And I hope my husband is hearing that because this is a nonstop <laughs> conversation in my house. Um, I love sports. It really did help me come out of my shell in school. Um, I chose not to play in college. I mean, in college, because I felt like, you know, it was just going to take me away from the things that I love the most. Um, mm -hmm. But but I what I wanted to do more than anything, my whole life was to be a professional writer. But mm -hmm. I couldn't get to that that place because I grew up around people who worked hard and kept their head down and no one was writing books. You know what I'm saying? They were right. working at the steel plant and they were teaching and they were nurses and they were office assistants and maids and those types of things. And if that, you know, being a professional writer seemed so far fetched in my working class community. Did you find that when you wanted to make the transition to writing, that there wasn't the mentors around you? Or do you think it was something that you could have said, okay, forget about basketball. I'm only going to be a writer and people around you would have lifted you up in that. So um, basketball was a means to an end and basketball was my my way out of my town i'm from a very small town and you know for all the good that it did there's also a lot of bad that happened to me in that town and so it was never like dang i want to be a writer but i feel like i can't so let me do something else it was like basketball is the only thing that is going to get me a full ride scholarship yeah. out of this mm -hmm. out of this town out of this state and so my focus, I never had a job growing up. I never really did anything else going on. I went to school, I played basketball, I played basketball all summer. I just, it was, it was basketball, everything. And I knew that if I put my head down and continued to play this sport, that I was going to be able to leave and then start the life that I wanted. Um, so writing came, I guess you could say after I was free. I was like, okay, well, there's no turmoil. I live in New York, I live in Brooklyn, I'm happy now. Now I can channel this energy into my writing and talk about my story. Um, I wouldn't have even wanted to talk about any of the things that I write about if I was still living in the town. I would not, the book would have never been written. Um, I don't want the eyes, the faces, the, oh my God, that mm -hmm. woman, like that's her. I would not want that. Um, there's a very large difference when you write your story in the town that you still live in versus when you write your story in a city of how many millions of people that can resonate with it and not judge you or question you, I guess you could say. So let's talk then about the transparency that it takes to write your book. Your book is so transparent. Your your story, your submission. And just to let everyone know, our um, people who submitted to the chapter one writing competition for the nonfiction fiction category had to submit up to 20 pages of a published or unpublished, published or unpublished being self-published piece of work. 
Um, and so we didn't get a chance to read the entire book, but we did get a chance to read excerpts from the book. And um, I know that you're very transparent in your book. And for the writers out there who are listening, who are trying to get to that place of transparency, were there steps that you had to take yourself through, whether it's internally or externally? Uh, may have been something physical that you did. Maybe it was meditation. I'm not sure, but that allowed you to get to a place where you can be that you could be completely transparent and authentic in the work because readers know when you're not being authentic. And so yes. was there something that you had to do to get to that place? Um, to be honest, I really just had to be comfortable with the story that I was telling. I used to, well, first of all, I had to figure out who I was talking to. Because before when I would blog or whatever, I would read my blogs and be like, oh my God, this sounds, it sounds too washed. It sounds too uppity or too low or too, like, it was just, I, I couldn't find the voice. Um, and then when I feel, when I realized who I wanted to talk to and then got comfortable with the story I wanted to tell, I was able to, be, I guess, be authentic. Even people now say that when they read the book, they can hear me talking to them, even if they haven't ever met me or went through my lives, whatever. They're like, I can, I can hear you talking. Um, so it's definitely a comfort thing. And it's mm -hmm. definitely a target situation. I know that my tone is not for everyone, but it's for my targeted audience. And who is that audience? Honestly, black women, black girls. Um, my platform is geared toward everyone. Everyone can heal. There's work for everyone. But my target, my go-to audience, the people whom I'm pouring my soul to, is Black women and girls. Because this is the stuff that often we go through that goes untalked about for however many reasons. So let's talk about being a Black woman in America. Let's talk about being a Black girl. I am reading a book um, now that's from the BWW, and I'm going to probably go live and talk about it at some point. It's called Being the Daughter of it's something like being the daughter of, I'm sorry, memoirs of a, of a daughter of crackheads. And this book was, um, I picked it up from someone on the page, um, from one of the writers. And I'm sorry, I'm missing her name right now. I know it's Keisha, but I can't remember her last name. And I'll pull the book out um, and let everybody know about it because I'm still reading it. But I like reading memoirs, although I write fiction. I've always been a big believer. I love reading true life stories. I think the human story is more compelling than any other story yeah. that can be told. The human story, our ability to overcome things, our ability to love, to hate, to lust, to have passion, all those things are so important and they're so dynamic. To me, they're more dynamic than witches and wizards. And I have nothing wrong with those books either, but I think the human experience in itself is dynamic. And so this book, literally made me cry because this young girl has gone went through hell and it's her it's it's the writer she went through hell growing up on the west coast in the midst of the crack addiction when it just hit hard in the 80s and 90s her mother and her father were both crack addicts um she just lived from house to house and enduring and seeing and experiencing things that she should not have been experiencing at a young age now i'm gonna get real real with you I look at this, I looked at the book and of course it made me angry. However, it's so many of our stories. It's so many of our stories. If it's not crack, you can substitute the word crack with so many other things. Molestation, you know, um, hunger, 
um, people being mentally abusive, physically abusive, um, just society not loving us for what we look like, what, what they yeah. perceive us as. Um, being in environments that aren't healthy, being around men who cannot build us up, instead tear us yeah. down. Yeah. Um, I'm reading this book and I'm angry. And I know some people get angry because it's like, oh, it's so sad. Actually, she tells the story with a, a, so much joy in her spirit because she's over, mm. she had to overcome all this. Right. So uh, not to have too long of a, of a story about this, but let's talk about these girls that you're trying to reach what are you trying to save them from in your book so many things the first thing i would say i'm trying to save them from is feeling like they're alone because there's some people who read this and the things that are happening to me already happened to them and i don't want them to be in a space where they feel like they're alone like no one sees them or no one cares because that is a terrible feeling to feel like you have gone through something and you can't do anything about it or even resonate with someone. So I definitely want to save them from that. I want to save them from self-harm. Just the notion that this thing happened to me and no one protected me, this must be my fault. You know, young brains are impressionable and we internalize a lot of stuff. And oftentimes it's it's blame, it's self-blame. I don't I don't want that. Mm -hmm. And for people who are reading the book who might be in a situation where they could catch themselves ending up how I ended up sort of thing and they read it, I'm hoping that it's a deterrent. I'm hoping that that boyfriend that pushes you down or hits you or whatever doesn't turn into the boyfriend that tries to kill you. I'm hoping that you're reading, you know, chapter two and you're like, mm, I shouldn't do X, Y, Z because I don't want my situation to turn out like Jamie's. Mm -hmm. I'm hoping that the person who feels like they have to parent their parents and grows up too fast can read, you know, chapter six and be like, I need to find some kid time or some teenage time or some young adult time. I'm just hoping that the years that I went through in mental turmoil and chaos don't happen to other people because it was a terrible time. And we appreciate you sharing all of that with us. Yeah. The writing competition gives our writers an opportunity to showcase their work and, and, and that's important, but they're also, we're also as readers, as avid readers, those of us who love to read books, are just really looking for that authentic writer. Mm -hmm. And I love so much that you chose this submission and we're not giving all the details because we want you to buy the book. All right, everybody. So we're not going to give you all the, the <laughs> we're not going to, there's no spoilers here. All right. You're going to buy the book. Um, <laughs> but I wanted, I love that it was a submission that was really about you wanting to transform other people. So this is the story about writing that I think a lot of us, we don't hear enough about. When we talk about great writers, we talk about all these amazing people who should definitely be on pedestals as, as great writers. We talk about the Richard Wrights and the Maya Angelos and the Alice Walkers and the right. Sanya Sanders and all these great writers and they deserve to be looked at as great writers. I don't take nothing from them at all. But great writers are also people who can get to the pen and use the pen to heal, heal themselves, heal the community, you know, heal somebody else. So even if many of us who are self-published authors never get the big deal, never get the big check, the big, you know, deal from the major publishing house, 
it doesn't mean that the work did not do what it was meant to do. And right. and so and what that is, is like you said, people coming up to you and saying, this book saved me. That was something that happened with my first book. I wrote a, a Christian fiction and I didn't think anybody was going to read it. And I put it out there and people would walk up to me and tell me about the characters and would tell me what I was going through when I wrote the characters. And yep. I mean, it, it was just like, I remember going to my first book club meeting and this lady had notes on every page. And mind you, I was petrified of her because I thought <laughs> when I saw her walk in, I was like, oh, she is coming for me. Like, <laughs> right. Uh oh. This is my first book club. This is my first time I'd ever been out with the book, period. And I'm shaking. And she just goes page to page talking to me about the character and the development. And were you feeling this when you wrote this? And I cried because I didn't even realize that people can get that, can can feel what I was feeling yeah. by how I wrote the book. So that's what made your work so dynamic. And I know you want to, I want you to read an excerpt from it um, because I want people to hear it. And I'm so proud of you, Jamie, for everything that you're doing and helping young people yeah. and being an inspiration. Continue to do what you do. Um, there's so much more life there and so I plan to hopefully read another version of this in 10 years and in 10 years after that and 10 years after that, keep building on your story because <laughs> uh, that's what it's all about. And so I want you to read your excerpt right. and let's talk a little bit about it. And we're gonna talk about your, published, um, your publishing process and your marketing as well. Okay, give me just one second, hold on. Okay. So everyone, we have Jamie here and she's going to read um, an excerpt from her book. I really do appreciate everyone for being with us who's out there. I know it's a Friday, everyone's getting home. Not only that, but today is a tough day because I'm in New Orleans and we have a hurricane coming our way. So I wanna pray for everyone in the city um, who choose to stay or choose to leave and we'll probably be leaving tomorrow. Uh, so that is something to consider. But please, I just ask that you pray for everyone. And I pray for everyone who's struggling with COVID, whether you're in a hospital or at home. Um, please, please, please go out and get your shot. So we're going to bring Jamie back and let her read her piece. And then we are going to talk a little bit more about self-publishing. And if you have any questions, be sure to drop those in the comment area. OK, you ready? Yeah, I am. We're having a, speaking of New Orleans, we're like having a flood here now. So <laughs> we're in the same boat, literally. Okay. So my first chapter of coming of age, whatever that means, is actually my submission. So you guys get to read as well. I guess I had to learn the hard way. Jordan, wake up. Wake the hell up. What the, what, mom? What's wrong with you? I came home that morning before school to get ready and fallen asleep. See, I had been staying at my friend Crystal's house before. We were teammates and pretty good friends. Actually, I had been staying in her house for over a week at that point. So the exchange I was having with my mom was long overdue to say the least. But before we get to how this conversation ends, let me fill you in on a secret. Well, I guess after I tell you, it won't be a secret anymore. Four weeks earlier, October, 2009, Jordan, you and Brian are so cute. You're both athletes. You're both black. You'll have all-star babies, says Crystal. Us both ignoring her microaggression. Well, he's okay. He's a bit aggressive, but I really do like him, I replied. 
Brian and I had been dating since the beginning of the school year. He was a transfer student from Missouri and I was, well, me. There weren't a lot of black people in the school, especially single athletes. So when I met Brian, really when everyone else met Brian, it was like we were pushed together by the forces that be high school students. It was really cute that I had a little boyfriend that year, one that I seemed to like. It was even cuter that he was on the football team and I was a star basketball player. It was like every high school movie plot. I would wear his football jersey around school and before Friday night football games, the girlfriends would spray paint shirts with the boys numbers on them and some catchy phrase like, beat the beavers. It really was cute. Or so I thought. My best friend throughout all high school was John. Oh, he was the greatest human. We had fun together and we hung out all the time. Even though he had a twin sibling, it was like we were inseparable. John was also on the football team. We would send each other pregame pump-up speeches, best friend anniversary texts, and general good mornings and good nights. For years, everyone thought we were in love. Everyone but us, kind of. See, John and I were friends with benefits. We were friends that, you know, did things together. He made me feel great in more ways than one, and I did the same for him. It was practically perfect. We'd both always been single, or if we weren't, our little relationships didn't last more than a couple weeks, maybe a month at best. We always found our way back to each other physically. John gave me butterflies every day, and I was always excited to see him, and he felt the same way about me. John and Jordan, best friends. Most people knew about John. Most people knew John and I would have thought, sorry, most people who knew John and I would have thought we would end up together. No one really questioned why we hung out so much or why we stayed at each other's houses. No one except Brian. He needed it to stop. Keep in mind, he needed to stop when I met him even before I started dating him. I was never one to cut off my friends when I was dating someone. I hated when my friends did that. I was not about to be that high school girl we see in the movies, the one that loses her friends because she's consumed by a boy, the boy breaks her heart, and then she embarrassingly runs back to her friends. Nope, not me. This meant that John and I would stay friends and Brian had to be okay with it. And he was for a while. Brian walked around with his arm around me in school. He would say, hey, to John sometimes when we would walk by in the hallway. Most of the time, because John and I were both juniors, we had the same class and John would part ways with Brian would part ways with us to go to his senior classes up the hall. This was our regular routine. But again, everything seemed fine until it wasn't. I had been calling all calling Brian all day on Friday with no response. That put me in a sour mood for the, for the day. But John managed to convince me to go to the upcoming home homecoming football game that night. Usually I would wear a Brian's jersey, but since he was nowhere to be found, John gave me his instead. But I still decided not to go to the homecoming dance that would be the next day since my boyfriend and date was missing in action. John, being John, decided to skip the homecoming dance too. He didn't have a date this year, despite how cute and kind he was. I'm outside your house, bestie. What if I wasn't home? How did you know I didn't decide to go to the dance? You would have told me if you decided to go, Jordan, and your light is on, so come sit in the truck with me or let me in. I could see his smile in my head as I, as I heard him joking and flirt, flirting on the phone. Naturally, I let him in, as I always did. We ate pizza rolls and we laughed about things I can no longer remember. We watched movies, we slept, and we cuddled. I was in a vulnerable space, Brian being on and all, and John knew how to make me feel better. Four days later. Brian showed up to school on Tuesday after homecoming weekend like everything was normal. He walked up to me at my locker, spun me around, gave me a kiss, and asked me how my weekend was. His eyes looked upset, but he was smiling from ear to ear and kept kissing me between words. 
My weekend, fine. But where were, where the hell were you, Brian? I managed to shoot out after pushing him away from me. I badgered him with questions, itching, no dying to know where he was and why he didn't answer his phone homecoming weekend. I thought I was living the high school dream and it was all proving to be false. Oh, I went back to Missouri to play in my old school's homecoming game. I miss them. Can you even do that? You don't even go there anymore. And if that were true, why wouldn't you tell anyone or your girlfriend where you were going? Relax, you didn't really wanna to go to homecoming anyways, he spat at me. Besides, what do you mean if it were true? You think I lie to you now? Let me guess, John has you thinking I'm a liar now. First of all, jerk, I started, tears welling up in my eyes like a flooding river. We made plans. I bought a dress, so clearly I wanted to go to homecoming. Second of all, the tears started falling now from my eyes, remembering how normal I felt with John that weekend and how angry I was at Brian now. John has nothing to do with anything. Your actions are super suspicious and you blocked me on Facebook the whole weekend. I know you're lying and this isn't the first time. The accusation, regardless of how accurate, prompted Brian to slam his fist into my locker, push me against it, and storm away. I immediately texted him before going to biology to apologize for upsetting him and that I didn't mean it. We'd only been dating for about five weeks at this point and I didn't want to mess it up already. The end of the day came and he was supposed to meet me at my locker before I drove us home, like he always did. But he was nowhere to be found yet again. I decided to drive to his house and wait for him there. I had basketball practice early that day anyways, and his house was by the gym, so it wasn't exactly out of the way. I got to his house and parked up the street where I usually park my car. I waited about 15 minutes until I saw Brian get out of another girl's car. A girl that I had seen before in some of his, yup, his ex-girlfriend. That was her. But I was trying to figure out what she was doing down here from Missouri. A couple minutes passed as I watched him get out of her car go around to the driver's side to talk to her, and then look up to see me standing outside my car two houses down. It wasn't until his eyes got big and he rushed her off and it clicked for me. This is what he was doing on homecoming weekend. I stormed up to him to cut him off, stopping him from walking to his house. He kept trying to push past me and I kept moving in front of him like his angry dance partner, demanding that he explain to me what exactly was going on. He told me to get out of his face and he continued trying to move around me to get to the house. I kept saying no and stepping in front of him yet again. See, you are a liar, Brian. A flash of rage came across his face. Next thing I know, I was on the ground in a thorn bush. I had prickles of blood on my hands and my arms. It physically hurt to get up, but it hurt my pride to stay down. He'd been so angry all day that I had accused him of lying, and he was angry now that I caught him in whatever act and I wanted answers. But because I liked him, and because I never really had a boyfriend before, I felt like I needed to fix it. I wouldn't accuse him anymore. I would believe everything he said. I shouldn't have made him so mad, I thought. Three weeks later, the lies kept coming, the disappearing kept happening, the jealousy overdone and I got worse. I had been pushed down and slapped up more times than I could count in the last three weeks. But each time I thought, I should stop doing this. I should stop doing that. And I should stop making him upset. I used sex as a way to cheer him up and mitigate any wrongdoing on my part. It wasn't my first time having intercourse. In fact, it was my second, but it was my first time giving consent. And still, I was disgusted and uncomfortable. The way he would touch me grossed me out. It was hard and aggressive and greedy, but I did it because it kept the peace. And besides, I didn't know what sex was supposed to be like anyways. All the while, I would complain to John. I would leave Brian's house and go to John's because I knew that I had a safe space with him. 
John would try to tell me that what Brian was doing to me was abuse and that it wasn't okay. But in my eyes, when Brian told me he loved me, he meant it. I hadn't seen any functional relationships in my life. So I accepted that this was Brian's way of telling me that he cared. But John wouldn't let it go. I know I said I wasn't going to be one of those girls that drops her friends when she gets a boyfriend. But I wanted things to work with Brian. So I stopped seeing John as often, if at all. Hmm. The story of so many people, so many of us have gone through so many, you know, made decisions like that um, because honestly, because we're kids and mm -hmm. we don't know what we don't know. Right. Um, I love the book. I love the writing. I love how clear it is. And you're touching on topics that are very relevant to what is happening in our high schools, our middle schools. Um, and definitely what's happening in our homes as well. Mm -hmm. uh, we had the second and third place winners on last night. And one of the young ladies were was talking about writing poetry after she had been <clears throat> abused and was in the hospital and using the poetry to help her to get through those tough times. Yeah. So Jamie, thank you so much for reading the excerpt. It was very, it was just an amazing read and connecting with you and your story. Um, your books are healing. And we're gonna talk a little bit about that as well, which is just the fact that you are now looking and you're, you're focusing in on wellness for women. Mm -hmm. What are some of the key things that this story about these two boys and how you reacted or interacted with them, what did you have to heal from or what that you have to realize about yourself to know that you even needed to be healed mm. um, in writing this. So I'm going to answer this question, but I'm also going to give a spoiler alert for the chapter, to be honest. So again, there were things that happened prior to this situation even where I felt like I had to give myself to feel loved or to be protected or validated, you know, whatever. So John, um, who was genuinely my best friend, we liked each other, but he was not black and wasn't about it. So we were like friends with benefits because it was like, oh, you're pretty for a black girl. I can't really be a white dude, but like we're friends, we can, you know, whatever. And I always felt comfortable with him, but I also felt like to keep him around as my friend, we had to have like that friends with benefits relationship. I felt like I wasn't a valuable best friend without having something to offer. Um, mm -hmm. and with Brian, I guess kind of the same thing. It was like, I was trying to search for something in these guys that, you know, John wasn't abusive, but I felt like I had to give something to him and Brian was physically abusive. Um, he actually several times tried to kill me, but the last time that's outlined in the chapter was like terribly awful and like aggressive, well, whatever, trying to kill someone is aggressive anyways. But I just kept blaming myself like, oh, I don't know what love is supposed to feel like. I grew up seeing this, or I grew up seeing that, or, you know, it's my first time having a boyfriend and I'm like one of three or four black girls in the town. And there's this black guy that comes to town and we're allowed to be together. And now I don't like, you know, it's like, I get to live this high school dream. I get to be valid. I get to be like everybody mm -hmm. else. I get to be normal. And I was taking all this abuse and all this greed and all this just mistreatment because I felt like that's what I needed to feel loved. And I just kept drawing excuses. 
Um, mm. And, you know, I, I love my father. He's a, a, a decent man. He's a good man. But, um, you know, my parents divorced. My mom used to tell me that I was just looking for male attention or male validation. And I would just seek it even at its lowest. Mm. Um, mm. I don't know if I resonate with that now as an adult. I think that I was seeking love that I wasn't getting from her. But um, regardless, it just turned into a nasty spiral. I got yeah. myself into, not got myself, I ended up in situations that potentially could have been avoided if I would have had more self-value. And that's why your book is so important. That is why writing this book is so important. And I'm so happy that you did because you're going to help another young lady or young man who has devalued themselves, mm. who is constantly trying to be liked or loved by people. And now in this yeah. age of social media, which we can have a whole conversation about that. Right. Um, the idea of, you know, I have to say this all the time, but a like doesn't mean love. A like on social media doesn't equate to love. And so we have to really work at making sure that our young girls, especially our young black girls, are understanding what true love is. True love of self. It yeah. starts there. Love yourself to know that you never have to make someone love you. Never. You never have to make someone love you. Love is something that is, you know, people choose to love. And when they love you, they love you. And trust me, you'll know it because it will be that type of feeling, that type of experience that will move you. But when you're constantly trying to force people to love you because of what you look like, what you're going to do for them. And it's women and men. I mean, this is not just a boyfriend thing. It could be a friend thing. But you're just working so hard, putting in all the time, trying to make people love you. Um, you find yourself depleted. And there's nothing there. So it needs to be genuine. It needs to be true. And I'm sorry. I feel like I'm doing you OK. It's OK. Don't worry. I was on here a couple of weeks ago and I booed with a girl. And it was it was like refreshing, though, honestly, because I needed to hear some things. And so thank you so much. Um, did you self-publish? I know you, you did self-publish your book. Yes. Correct. Mm -hmm. And I know you're marketing your books. And so your submission came out of the book that you have. Hold that up for us. Wait, can you, and my ring light won't let me be great. Yes. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> Who have been a ring light? They make it so funny. Listen. Everybody go out and buy this book. And Jamie has other books as well. You want to tell us a little bit about all your writing? Um, I've got a hard stop in a minute. I've got another interview to jump on. But okay, no um, worries. Before, no, tell us about your um your books. Yes, all so, of them. My first book is called Do the Work, Let's Heal. It walks the reader through like my healing journey as a way for me to facilitate your own. Um, it's a workbook. So there's a task at the end of each chapter and line pages for you to do your own reflecting and do your own work. Um, I just rewrote it. So the limited edition is out. It's bomb. It's cute. There's some affirmations in there. It's great. Um, my second work you have, Do the Work, Let's Heal. I do want to give a trigger warning for this. There is... Um, attempted murder in here, abuse, sexual assault, things of that nature. So please read it with caution, read it with care, read it with whatever lens you need to read it with. 
Um, and my third book is in the works for 2022. I won't give you the title because I don't want you to steal it. I'm just kidding. Um, but it is going to be similar to this one. It's going to be a realistic fiction uh, piece of me, but it's going to be one long story, one long narrative. Nice. Thank you so much, so, Jamie, for being with us. Congratulations again on winning that award. Thank you. Uh, walking away with the top prize, pouring yourself into the work, being transparent, everything that you did, you are healing us. And that's what's important. And so you have good luck. Let's stay in contact with each other. I told you that before. Okay. Let's continue to do that and um, be safe and continue to be great. Thank you so much. I'm going to take okay. you off the screen and then we'll we'll say our, say our personal farewells. Thank okay. you again. Thank you. So, so everyone, we have Jamie here to talk about her top prize winning um, submission to the chapter one writing competition. We will be hosting another competition in um, 2022. So please stay tuned to that. If you're not on the Black Writers Workspace page, you are missing out. We have a private group with 9,600 people on that in that particular group. You are welcome to join us. We talk about everything from writing, um, of course, I mean, everything around writing, not everything, but we do focus in on writing. So thank you all so much for being with us. Join me shortly. I will be talking to our poetry winner, McKean Yassar, and um, he's going to be on here at 530. So just bear with us. We're going to transition over to another StreamYard link, and uh, we'll be showing this also on the Facebook page, YouTube, and we'll have it up on our Spotify uh, podcast later tonight. So thank you all.